Chapter 79 An Those who uproot I swear by those phenomena that uproot Nazi'at violently and with full force. The first three verses begin with wow of oath to underscore the message following and signal the reader to pay close attention to it. The next two verses also begin with an oath but use the particle fa for they represent the outcome of the first three verses. This verse is comprised of two words, nazi'at, to uproot, and gharq, full force. Nazi'at, in chapter 54, verse 20, convey the sense that people were swept away, as if they were uprooted trunks of firmly established palm trees. A verb from the same root is used in the context of how death's approach snuffs out life. This verse connotes that something which has been firmly established will be uprooted and separated with full force. That let loose gently. Nashitat. Nashitat, contentment, means the joy one experiences after the initial difficulty caused by the task's complexity, begins to subside. That glide, as if swimming, sabihat. The prevailing tendency among exegetes is to interpret these verses as referring to the three classes of angels, or refers to the souls of those believers who have attained spiritual joy. Others believe that these verses are about stars, and many say that they refer to the bow and arrow of the warriors who draw out the latter with full force. One of the exceptions to previous exegeres suggests that God takes oaths in the Quran on straightforward and perceptible objects that we can easily comprehend and relate to, such as the olive, the fig, the pen, and the sun. He explains these verses by offering this simple example. A rocket requires a tremendous force to achieve liftoff. After takeoff, it excitedly gathers speed and breaks free from Earth's gravity. It gradually becomes lighter and lighter as if the rocket is swimming freely in space moving ever closer to its destination. Indeed, such is the case with humans. As they become progressively less attached to this material world and its trappings, nazi'at, they become lighter and lighter, and therefore break free and finally embark upon their spiritual journey with ease, nashitat. They can now speed up joyfully and swiftly, Swim, sabihat, toward the destination. That press forward, as in a race, sabiqat. This verse and next provide the fourth, sabiqat, and fifth, mudabbirat, stages in one's advancement toward spiritual growth and excellence.
and that regulate, manage, mudabbirat, the affair. In the example of the rocket, these two stages correspond, respectively, to its pressing forward with speed as it increasingly comes under the influence of the destination's gravitational forces and, upon arrival, carrying out its set objectives under proper supervision and management. On the day when the blast will shake violently the creation of God. The Big Bang that occurred 13.8 billion years ago created the universe, and ever since then, the ongoing natural movement has fashioned the universe in its current state. At some point in the future, a contrary movement will occur, the day of Rajifa. The Quran points to this phenomenon in many of its short chapters to the day of a tremendous explosion on earth which will cause everything to shake violently and that the mountains will become like running sand or fluffy tufts of wool, which will be scattered in the skies. The Quran points to our planet's eventual fate and the magnificent blast that will presage another fantastic creation, such as the Big Bang, and another quake or explosion will follow. This verse highlights that this sudden tremendous quake will set in motion a series of successive events. Scientists have calculated the events that transpired during the first one-thousandth of a second following the Big Bang, what occurred subsequently, which elements were created, and when the countless galaxies appeared. All of these step-by-step -step transformations are the result of that original phenomenon. On such a day, hearts will be throbbing. Some people will be apprehensive, for fear will be cast into their hearts, while their gazes will be lowered and downcast, and their eyes will be downcast in humility and awe. They will ask, Shall we really be restored to our former state? Some exegetes state that human beings will utter these words on that day. Others opine that it refers to people in this world who, upon hearing about that event, will ask in bewilderment, how can we be brought back in our original form after we have died and rotted away? Hafira can mean either a return to the grave or to life, because it denotes returning to the point of origin. Even after we are rotten bones. Nakhira, rotten bone, indicates a bone that has rotted away so much that air can flow through it. Thus, some people find it hard to believe in any possibility of a renewed life. They will say, that would be a losing return for the worse. They exclaim, if the arrival of the day really does usher in a new creation, then we will be losers because we never performed any activities that would benefit us in the life to come. We never prepared provisions for that journey. Surely it will be but a single blast. 
the verse uses emphatic language to make it clear that this event will certainly happen. On that day, an enormous explosion will unexpectedly take place, but it is not known if it will occur only in our galaxy or throughout the entire universe. What is important here is that this event will be on such an immense scale that even if it were to occur only in our galaxy, its scope would still be beyond our imagination. And suddenly, they will be fully awakened. Sahira, which means a flat surface with no peaks to obscure one's vision, suggests that everything will become perfectly transparent. Quran chapter 14 verse 48 says that earth will be transformed into another kind of earth and heaven into another form of heaven. The scope of this explosion will be such that it will completely flatten earth, as referenced in many chapters. Also noteworthy is that many stars have completely flat surfaces. In other words, they have such a strong gravitational force that no place on their surface can be higher than other places. It is possible that after that magnificent explosion, the Earth's core becomes condensed and its gravitational force so strong that it would eliminate all the depths and elevations on its surface. Have you, O Prophet, heard the story of Moses? The story of Moses, which is discussed in many chapters, is mentioned here only briefly because this chapter was revealed in Mecca during the early years of the Prophet's ministry. When his Lord called out to him in the sacred valley of Tuwa. The previous verses talked about future events and human destiny, and now the discussion shifts to history. Interestingly, verse 16 uses Tuwa to refer to the land where God chose Moses as his prophet. This particular word connotes a land that is uneven, chaotic, convoluted, and full of hills and valleys. Perhaps it is used because it mirrors the turbulent journey of human beings through life's uncertainties, or reminds us of the complexity of our own lives and its ups and downs when envisioning our ultimate fate. Other chapters state that God called to Moses while he was absorbed in a deep and intimate conversation with his beloved, God. He might have been reflecting upon his life, from being born into a destitute family to receiving God's grace at the time of his birth. God inspired his mother to set him afloat on the Nile in a basket, a simple act which led to his rescue and upbringing in the opulence of Pharaoh's palace until he was finally forced to flee from Egypt for inadvertently killing a man. When Pharaoh threatened his life, God guided him to a safe land where he became acquainted with a devoted servant of God and further blessed him by providing shelter, a teacher, wife, children, and the opportunity to continue his journey of self-building and growing 
in spiritual perfection. Go to Pharaoh, for he has rebelled and exceeded all bounds. Here, the Quran provides us with a model of how to talk with those who disagree with us and may even be oppressors. God instructs Moses to approach Pharaoh both civilly and courteously, despite the latter's clear transgression of the self-evident divine commands and terrorizing of his people. The Quran uses the root word ta to describe these serious infractions and moral violations, for its etymological meaning connotes a river that spills over its natural boundaries, floods the surrounding areas, and causes harm to the land and its people. And say to him, Have you any desire to become pure? Pharaoh had crossed the limits that everyone ought to protect and preserve by transgressing upon his people's rights via intimidation and persecution. It is worth reiterating that God commands Moses to approach Pharaoh not with accusatory language or threats, but rather with a respectable offer of purification and guidance. He is giving Pharaoh a chance to become aware of his blameworthy behavior and heed God's directive. By extension, we should not use harsh and abrasive language when discussing and debating with others, so that I might guide you to your Lord, and as a result, you will hold him in awe. God goes further and directs Moses to ask Pharaoh if he has the inclination, temperament, and readiness to start purifying his soul, to become aware of the wondrous power of his Lord, and also the Lord of Moses, and to stand in awe of him. The Quran promotes the use of this language of reason and ethics when inviting others to move toward God, to become aware of His presence and supreme power. Then He, Moses, showed him the great sign. Moses presented God's greatest sign to Pharaoh. Apparently, this was actualized by the same staff that turned into a serpent, parted the Red Sea, and cleaved asunder a mountain and produced a spring of water in it. The Quran relates a total of nine miracles performed via his staff or coupled with something else. But he, Pharaoh, scoffed and defied. Pharaoh responded by claiming that they are all lies and rejected the miracles. He even went further and acted rebelliously, although he could have rejected Moses' invitation without disrespecting his teachings. Instead, Pharaoh initiated a sustained campaign of terror against him, then turned his back in a hurry. The word sa'a literally means to walk briskly and metaphorically, to strive and endeavor. As such, yesa denotes that the Pharaoh did not oppose Moses only once, but rather exerted maximum effort to deny the truth and prevent others from turning toward it. The particle 
Thumma suggests that he spent months and years opposing his message. He summoned the people and proclaimed. But Pharaoh, who responded in a rebellious and combative tone, gathered his troops and challenged him. Rejecting Moses' message and scoffing at the miracles, he summoned magicians from across Egypt to expose this trickery. Quran chapter 26 verse 54 to 56 says that Pharaoh sent messengers throughout his kingdom to inform his subjects that a small group of people was bent on destroying their religion. He proclaimed, They have provoked us and we will not tolerate them. We are united and this small group should fear us. I am your supreme Lord. The peak of his arrogance and haughtiness came when he claimed to be the exalted Lord. His intent was not to claim that he had created humanity or the world, for he had dominion only over Egypt, and, as such, implicitly believed in the existence of God or various deities. Rather, his lordship was connected to the limitless power and discretion he exercised over his subjects along with his expectation of their absolute subordination and deference to his decrees. So God condemned him to punishment in the life to come as well as in this life. Pharaoh saw the consequence of his despotism and tyranny during his lifetime and will certainly receive a most grievous penalty in the hereafter as well. The epitome of evil in the Quran, his destiny should serve as an example to those who ignore God's message and exhibit a lack of God-awareness. There truly is a lesson in this for anyone who stands in awe of God. Today, the mummified and crumbled body of Pharaoh who once claimed to be the Lord, is preserved in Cairo's Egyptian Museum. This is truly the most fitting testament to the end result of an exceedingly arrogant dictator. One would hope that this admonition would cause all powerful leaders to reflect on their own lives and destinies and inspire in them the awe and fear of God. The story of Moses is mentioned here to point out that he and others like him are capable of transversing the earlier mentioned five stages of spiritual growth toward spiritual perfection. Are you more difficult to create than the heaven that he has built? The Quran addresses those arrogant and empowered people who consider themselves high and mighty. Have you ever wondered what is more difficult for us to create? you or the orderly and immense heavens. He raised the height and proportioned it. Samak, translated as height, can also be understood as diameter. Humanity is preoccupied with notions of time and locality. Even though the Milky Way's diameter is about 100 million light years, it is considered small compared to other galaxies. 
Moreover, only God knows the immensity of the universe beyond these galaxies. Do we really know what time is or how it is created? We measure time in 24-hour units, but we do not know how it is measured on the Sun or the Milky Way galaxy because their time is subservient to different laws. Making its night dark and bringing forth its daylight. In the beginning, there was no light and therefore no night or day. It took millions of years for the masses of gases to become condensed enough so that their temperature would reach the millions of degrees needed to cause the explosion that converted helium into hydrogen. This development, in turn, caused light to emerge out of darkness. Scientists recently calculated that light originated about 30,000 years after the Big Bang. God created light and thus time, as well as everything else that exists in the universe. The word duha does not only connote light, for light is only a small part of it. It is inclusive of the rays in this world that are a product of explosions and radiations of the inner part of the cores of stars. After that, he spread out Earth. Scientists still do not know how the solar system was created. Thus, there are different theories, one of which speculates that the Sun and Earth were both molten masses thrown into space as a result of celestial collisions and drew out from it its water and its pastures. Once oxygen and hydrogen came into existence, water was created and covered the entire Earth for hundreds of millions of years. There was a great deal of rain and lightning before some form of life on land slowly started to appear. Water began to recede and the earth appeared. Furthermore, storms and lightning caused carbon and ozone to combine, which fostered the growth of simple plants and anchored its mountains. If mountains did not exist, the continents would have drifted around like pieces of wood floating on water. Like the anchor of a ship, Mountains keep continents anchored to specific locations. A provision for you and your livestock. All of these creations are meant for humans and their beasts of burden to enjoy so that they can have the best quality of life. The Quran uses mata'a to underline the perfunctory and temporal nature of these trifling blessings and advises people to seek only enough of them to meet their need during this temporary stop. But when that great calamity comes? The topic of the Day of Resurrection, one of the most substantive ones in the Quran, comprises about one-third of the Quranic text. This day is about evaluating the quality of one's life here and assessing if the real purpose of one's existence was fulfilled. 
On that day, each one will remember what he strove for. Only on that day will our inner aspect manifest itself so that we can finally understand how we spent our lives and what provisions, namely, virtuous deeds, we sent ahead. Will we be prepared or totally unprepared for it when it arrives? And hellfire will be exposed for all who can see. Quran explains that hell encompasses the disbelievers in the sense that they were surrounded by it even on earth. However, they remain unaware of its presence until it manifests itself on the day. This is similar to the condition of a person who has been suffering from stress and deep depression for a long time and then suddenly has a psychological breakdown. Indeed, people will realize that hell resides within them on that day. As for those who transgressed and rebelled, the Quran warns those who are rebellious and deny the truth that their own actions will shape and determine their destinies and preferred the life of this world. Some people chose the life of this world over that of the hereafter. Then, surely hell will be the abode. Quran states that this choice has caused them to bring hell upon themselves, for they have sent nothing ahead for the day of judgment. It should be noted that verse does not say that we place him in hell, rather hell is his abode, denoting that such a fate is the result of one's own deeds. But for those who dreaded fear of God, standing before their Lord and restrained their lower self from base desires. Once again, it is important to understand that fear of God is not meant to convey the profile of a frightening and tyrannical God, but rather to inform us that His authority and position is awe-inspiring. Are you afraid of a police officer or the position he holds and the authority that is vested in him? It is true that he is infinitely merciful, but at the same time he is just and a stern judge. He alone is truly oft forgiving and most merciful, but his punishment for those who fail to restrain their lower animalistic self will be most grievous and painful. Then, surely paradise will be the abode. Again, needless to note that verse says, Paradise will be the abode, denoting that such a fate is the result of one's own deeds. They ask you about the hour. When will it come? People have always asked, When that day will arrive? In what position are you that you should mention it? The Quran addresses the Prophet repeatedly, telling him that he neither knows the nature nor the time of this particular event. Quran tells him to respond to those who ask that only God possesses such knowledge. Its end is up to your Lord.
human beings are on a journey toward perfection and spiritual growth, a journey that will ultimately lead them to God. This is a journey toward infinity, for God is everywhere and yet nowhere specific. You are just a warner of those who dread it. The Prophet's sole purpose is to warn and inform people of the consequences on that inevitable and doubtless day if they continue to ignore their spiritual growth. They should know that the temporal abode that they have built is exposed to floods and will suffer destruction. The people should not become infatuated with this world for it has not shown loyalty to anybody in the past and that the world is not an eternal abode. He conveyed this message, but without the use of any force or intimidation, by assuring his followers that this earth is just a temporary place which we occupy while traveling toward our ultimate and permanent destiny. When they see that day, it will seem that they lingered in this world for no longer than one evening, or, at most, until the following morning. The Quran repeatedly reminds us that on the day of resurrection, we will finally realize and be awakened to the reality of just how short and infinitesimal the duration of our lives here was in comparison to the permanent abode of the hereafter.